Hello, listeners. Today we have Lynn O'Brien. And let me just say this conversation is chock full of good tidbits that just like really hit you deep in your soul and really make you think of doing business in a different way. And Lynn is just so inspiring and is so multifaceted. So we really hope that you get a lot of value out of this conversation. And hopefully by the end of it, you have felt ultimately and truly seen. You're listening to the Being a Whole Person podcast. I'm Rebecca Haas, a pianist, composer, and creative wellness coach. And I'm Lexi Rollet, the astrologer behind Alexandria Astrology. And this is a podcast all about creative entrepreneurship, self-care, and spirituality, and how they blend in our lives. Lexi and I are having honest conversations with a variety of other creative entrepreneurs to show the whole story of what it's like to be a business owner, not just the Instagrammable version. By digging into the real experiences of being a creative entrepreneur, we explore how it is possible to blend our career with our life and feel like a whole person. Welcome to the Being a Whole Person podcast. Today we have Lynn O'Brien on the podcast. Welcome, Lynn. Woo! Hi. So nice to have you here. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Can you tell us about yourself in your own words, what you do, all that good stuff? Sure. I'm Lynn, currently sitting on my couch in St. Louis. And professionally speaking, I'm a speaker, musician, and coach with a background as a music therapist in hospital settings. And I would say all the ways I work revolve around creative, compassionate, and constructive work with individuals and communities experiencing change. I like that all those things start with a C. Yeah, I'm big into alliteration. It's a, <laughs> it's a big pillar of my business. I was like, <laughs> I think that's on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And I really love how those things all integrate together so nicely, like a lot of the themes in your music also inform those other things like the compassionate piece really comes through yeah I've been really discovering that the last few years that it's all they're all kind of branches on the same tree and more and more these offerings find their way into each other yeah interesting can you tell us a little more about your your, like your history as a musician too Sure. I grew up in a family of musicians, so lots of singing and harmonizing growing up. So I taught myself a number of instruments. Um, my dad and my aunt were both songwriters, so we really shared a lot of that as a family, too. Um, we also did some volunteering in like nursing homes and, and in hospice and different spaces as a family. And then when I was a teenager, I started performing, you know, I had done like talent shows and that kind of the school circuit. Um, but I, when I was about 17, I started a, um, working professionally as a musician and booking gigs and, and running it more as a business. And then that kind of expanded into lots and lots of gigging and some touring and traveling, lots of collaborating, making my first few albums and was definitely informed by becoming a music therapist. So during the day I'd be studying that or eventually working as a music therapist and then at night and weekends doing gigs and, and then the performance piece. Yeah. So lots of vocal improvisation, lots of a focus on singing and just the voice as a, as a vehicle for expression and connection and healing. I know. 
I'm healing for sure. Big time healing. Yeah. And also you had a goal for a little bit to do an improv song at every concert recently. And that was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I love, I love improvisation and working with people who are really deep into that world as well. I had the joy of studying and performing with Bobby McFerrin back in the day and working with Rhiannon and different improvisers and love doing fully improvised concerts. And I think it was in 2018. Um, I did. Yeah. At least once at every concert, I had a fully improvised song that the audience would uh, participate in or provide the content for. And, you know, some of them were silly, but a lot of them were these profoundly relevant things that just, you know, I just love that with improv it, it's built on what exists in the moment and in the room. And to me, that's the most potent form of music. Oprah for president was one. I think I remember. <laughs> That's yeah. the only one I can remember because it was oh, so funny. That, that one really got away from me. I was performing at the <laughs> Theater Cultural Center in Minneapolis and the, the requests were springtime, animals, and Oprah for, Oprah for president. <laughs> um, and somehow it all, it all happened and somebody ended up um, recording the chorus of that and trying to get me to work on Oprah's campaign using that song. And I was like, hang on, <laughs> like I had to go into my little feminist moment of like, Oprah doesn't even want to be president. Yeah. Yes, she's one of the only competent leaders like speaking right now, <laughs> but that doesn't mean she wants, you know, it was just a funny thing, but yeah, people, that yeah. was definitely in the air at that time. Wow. Yeah. You were like, this is not an endorsement. I'm just I know, I was a like, song. Well, not a political musician to be clear. <laughs> I just remember it was really catchy. I wasn't there, but I watched the video that you posted online of it. <laughs> yeah. So you noticed that you said when you're talking about your history just now that you thought of your musician career as a business at age 17. Yeah. You know, I'd, I would say the, the bells and whistles of like making a formal LLC and, and really thinking about it in those ways came a decade later. But I was, now that I look back, I'm like, yeah, I was booking and managing and figuring out the, the payment. And I had an agent at that time for a brief time who ended up not being fully honest about the the payment situation. And I think he was kind of counting on the fact that I was a high schooler (laughs) to not notice, but I did. And then I thought I can do this myself. And so that's kind of what I've been doing since then, you know, certainly with, with help from folks as it comes up. But I think I realized when I was 17 that I could make that happen without the help of an agent. And so I did start booking a lot in my hometown and some of the surrounding cities. That's amazing. What was happening with that agent like, is there, do you have any words for advice, words of advice for anyone else in regards to that? Yeah, I think especially for women and perhaps for non-binary folks too, I think this culture is really male dominated in the music performance specifically. And I think especially for younger musicians, you know, I was, I had performed a lot growing up, but it certainly was a new role for me to be booking my own act and promoting it and being kind of the person in charge. And I think there's a lot of seduction that happens in the culture to have an agent or a manager or these other people on your team. And I think it's just really important to be discerning, to really see how it sits with you and your intuition and your body, to see if it's really meeting a need that you have, because you'll get asked a lot for different, different people to kind of help you out. And <clears throat> a question someone posed to me is, only hire people who can really do something you can't do yourself or outsource people that you just really intuitively trust. And that's, that, that's been really true for me. 
it hadn't occurred to me that I was being bamboozled at the time, but I, I can see now that I didn't have the tools at the time, but just being more discerning and, and more direct in like, Hey, you said it was the split. You know, I was having to go to the venue weeks later to try to find my pay. It was just kind of a not, you know, now, and especially now as I mentor artists, I'm like, you don't have to deal with any of that bullshit, but it's what I needed to grow and to realize how professionally I really did want to manage my work. That's awesome. And such an early time in your life to learn that lesson. Yeah, I was a little go-getter. I was uh, coordinating events and starting internships around town. And I even coordinated a huge swing dance at my high school and um, starting clubs. And I just had a real, I felt really empowered at the time to, to make happen and to do. And that really carried into my first few albums and into the risks I was taking at the time. Cool. So you told us a lot about the musician side of your career. Can you tell us more about like the coaching and speaking legs of your, your trifecta? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. So in my early twenties, I moved from Illinois to Minnesota and it was a really vulnerable time of like finding my independence for the first time in a lot of ways. And I happened to start working with a coach for myself, um, over the phone. And I worked with her for about two years and it was just amazing. Um, Nia Pernay, we're still in touch. She's, she was just an amazing coach who took me under her wing at the time. And I was in such big life transitions and having these meetings with her where I could really understand the tools and strengthen the tools I had inside to navigate change and ask hard questions and do a lot of experiential and embodied exercises to get there. And to find the answers for myself um, was really transformative. And so that really planted the seed of the power of coaching. Um, And since then, a number of other coaches have come into my world and helped me with my own personal stuff and certainly business. And I've really, each time I'm like both nerding out from a, oh, this is so helpful for me, but also nerding out from a, wow, how did you do that technique? Or the way you said that, you know, it's like, just really excited about the the process of coaching. And so I've, I've realized in some informal ways that I bring kind of a coaching presence to my music and to my relationships. And then in some different situations where I've been teaching music therapy practicum students or in this kind of mentor role, it ends up being very coachy. So that has kind of emerged organically and then been developing more of a practice with that the last few years. And then speaking you know, I've always been really interactive and performing with people and always really conversational in how I approach that space. But it was maybe six or seven years ago that someone asked me to be a keynote speaker for a women's retreat. And when they asked me, it's kind of like when someone waves to you and you look behind, like, is that for someone? Is that for me? Or like, what? (laughs) And I did it feeling the whole time that like complete imposter syndrome of like, I mean, I'll do it. But like, why would they think I can do this? Or how interesting that they're seeing me as a speaker and ended up loving it, having a great time weaving in speaking, um, music facilitation. And it really planted a seed in me of like, ah, I can do this. This is something I I can do. I really enjoy and I really want to get better at. And luckily through the grace of people knowing me as a musician and just trusting that I could hold that speaking space, there's been other opportunities kind of organically emerging. And I would say just the last couple of years, I'm realizing that I can put more intention into making this more of a business offering and asking for those opportunities. But a lot of my life is just 
intuitive choices and seeing what I'm asked to do and where the need is and then responding to that. So I would say both pretty organic. And at this point, it feels like, yeah, these are the things I naturally have to give. Why not create a business that's touching on all those? I think that's what everybody strives for is to have something that feels so intuitively right to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely striving for that. (laughs) And of course, it's a process for all of us, just because, you know, you said all that, I know that doesn't mean that you have everything all figured out, because none of us have everything all figured out, we're continuing to figure it out. Of course, and like with anything that's, you know, based on individual experiences, one at a time with these different conferences and retreats and performances, some are going to feel like the whole magic of the universe is working through you. And some are going to feel like, all right, that was a lot of work. I need to go eat a half gallon of ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) It's a hit and miss, but it's, but enough of it feels really aligned that it's, um, feels like it's my work. So I'm really grateful for that. That's so great. And you can see that Mm -hmm. in in your Mm -hmm. work. I can see that. So it sounds like you get, you know, a lot of these invitations or these, you know, people asking you to do things. So I kind of have two questions with it. One, what do you think that it is that causes you to get these invites? And then two, how do you discern if it's the right thing for you to do or not? Oh, great questions. I would say I put myself out there a lot. When I show up for a performance, I do put all of myself in. I don't really hold back per se. And I think I'm really open to it. I'm really open and I invite my audience to use me and to work with me. I'm really curious about how my career could keep evolving. And some of that is just my own spiritual path of feeling like, oh, how, how nice that I no longer have to muscle my life into being. I can just follow where the next clues are. I'm on a path that I feel something else is really guiding. And my job is to be curious and open and to keep showing up and to notice where those invitations are. And it's not passivity. It's, it's just collaboration. And I think I lived a lot of my life more in the masculine capitalist achiever. Here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to manifest the hell out of this. And you know, that kind of I'll let you know what my order is life. I'll let you know what I want to do. So I think some of it is just like having that receptivity. And I think people can sense that. And so a lot of folks reach out with these, hey, would you ever consider writing a song for my son who was just diagnosed with cancer? Hey, would you ever consider helping me propose to somebody with the, you know, these, I love it. I love the creative proposals and the as open as I am, the discernment to answer your second question is really important because this is what I do. This is the way I make money, period. And so, of course, it's still running a business and navigating and negotiating how long would that take me and how do you put a value on some of these very customized experiences? Is it something that's really in my wheelhouse? Is this really something I can bring my magic to or is it something that someone's just asking of me and I can say, that's really not something I should or want to do, but let me refer you to these other badasses I know that could make you really happy. So I think the questions I ask myself are, is this personally exciting to me? Does this feel like it's right on the path? And is the exchange something where I feel, is, is there a possibility for mutual generosity here? Am I really excited to bring my gifts to this? And am I gonna come away from this feeling filled up by the experience, whether that's the pay or the 
the experience or the, you know, I hate the word exposure, but the, <laughs> the different ways that we artists have to think in terms of currency, unfortunately, in our society does include that word sometimes. And does it fill my heart? Does my body feel activated? And am I full of ideas when someone's proposing it? That's where I go. And, and there's enough now that I, I feel like I can really clearly discern or when I'm really thinking hard on something, it's usually because it's a no and I don't want it to be a no. So just really trusting the no and trusting that it can create trust when you turn something down or refer to someone else because there are plenty of things that I'm not great at or, or really don't want to be offering. But luckily there's other collaborators I can um, bring into the mix then too. That sounds like such a helpful process, being that mm -hmm. connected to your intuition in making all these decisions. Yeah. I'm grateful for it now because I think there is at least a decade of just saying yes to everything, getting the word yes tattooed on my body, making an album called Yes. <laughs> that is really That's right. Of just like, sure, I can do that. Yeah, I'll do that bar mitzvah. Uh-huh. Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come play on that frozen lake. I'm going to do the uh-huh. Yep. And then eventually, you know, slowing down, burning out and really setting some healthy boundaries as well as just that branding process you have to go through after you're doing something for a while. I'm just like, all right, where do, where do my offerings begin and end here? How can I stay open without um, reinventing the wheel or, or accommodating too much? Yeah, so it's helps me find my center, which is usually my body feeling really excited about it. Mm. All those yeses, like... I know that you say yes to too many things and you'll get burned out, but I'm sure all those yeses also were learning experiences that led you to be able to hone all that. So that's such a tricky process to be like, well, how much should I say yes to? And what is that going to do? And you don't know until after what it's going to do for your learning process. Totally. And just really finding where that trust is like, am I saying yes? Cause I'm scared to say no. Am I saying no because I don't trust? You know, just that really taking that space to discern. Like there, I do like the word each year of your word of intention for the year. And one year it was no. And I just really experimented with, I'm going to just say no as a default. And a lot of things opened up because every no is a yes to something else. But I just really checked my own addiction to yes and motivation for yes. And as an Enneagram too, the helper, that's like super key. So yeah, now I feel comfortable with both of them. We're also in a, a pandemic and there's lots of other factors that affect my willingness to say no right now, but yeah, it's definitely a process. I love the complexity that you bring to yes and no, because like a lot of times that seems so black and white and that's how people portray it. But mm -hmm. thanks for sharing all that goes into the gray shades of yes and no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the yes and or a a yes if yeah or no but totally yeah. <laughs> you asked earlier about like that discernment with that original agent or like what kind of advice for other folks and I just think some of the best things I've seen modeled and what I try to model is the yes if um, that we can name conditions and we can we don't need to be unsafe or uncomfortable in creating work yeah yeah, that's a really important thing to recognize that saying yes to the offer doesn't mean you have to take it in its purest state that is given. 
yes you can make adjustments and you probably do need to make adjustments yeah very rarely is it just going to be off the shelf perfect totally and so many people that work with me have never heard of what i do they're just very curious of like but well, how would that even work and i think i heard the quote like you have to teach people how to love you i think it goes with work too you have to teach people how to work with you and share what you'd like and your intentions and name your price and you know still with collaboration and generosity but i think we just have so much responsibility to to advocate and show folks what we need and what would help us the way i try to phrase it is like what would really help me feel stoked to show up generously which is the goal it's like that's what people would really like from me here's what i would need to be able to show up in that place let's like meet there if we can people don't always think about it like that either they're like well i want this thing and can you give it to me or not? Or why can't you give it to me? Right. But not caring about how you show up for it. Right. In the best conditions. Right. And sometimes, you know, a work day is a work day or not everything yeah. can be this like this really curated experience. But but I do, I really do care about that abundance mindset. And I think when people do contact me and are looking for background music and they don't really care what it is and I just need something, I'm like, ooh, all my energy comes from having purpose, impact and like time to strategize and freedom to improvise. And if you don't care about any of that, like I can refer you to all these musicians who could like really happily hold that space, but I'll be tired and maybe sick by the end of that gig. <laughs> you know, like I, that won't feed me. What I'm looking for is that really intentional collaboration. It sounds like this discernment that you've learned honestly feeds into your self-care practice. It's kind of like all in one mm. in a way. Like if it's, if you know that it's not going to nourish you, it, it sounds like, like just that very example that you just gave of, I know that if I do this, I am probably going to be sick. And then just kind of like having that awareness and being able to say no is so powerful. So can you talk a little bit about how you approach self-care and maybe even how it's tied into just even the work that you do? Mm. Sure. Yeah, I love how you said that. And I do think um, I at least try to stand for self-care within work and all of those things. Some of my self-care practices, I talk to myself a lot. <laughs> um, I do affirmations and mirror work um, and just a, like a pretty constant self-forgiveness when those inner critics that we all have come out to play. Um, I do different practices like burning things or destroying things or journaling or drawing, um, writing songs, publishing really unpolished things on social media that feel real. Um, talking to friends, binging on Netflix and eating whatever I want with no, like just practicing non-shame. <laughs> There's parts of self-care that I really struggle with like consistent exercise or a really great sleep routine or a consistent daily structure. And right now my self-care practice is that coach inside that's reframing instead of saying, I'm so bad at routine. I have no discipline. You know, just really trying to challenge those inner critics by saying, is there something you need about your daily routine? And maybe it's, I need five hours to be free and create and I need to work in spurts of two hours or, you know, like just really trying to remove judgment is like the biggest part of my self-work and self-care right now, which I think are the same thing. 
just being a little more gentle and yeah, just telling those inner critics to fuck off sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> They're really yeah. brutal. They're so mean. They are. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's horrible. And you know, when you're doing work and, and living in a way that's a little more juicy and exciting, they get louder and more threatened. Right. And like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and so sharing that with friends and not living in secrecy about those voices or that kind of experience, I think is another big part of how I care for myself. Cause it's really easy to just think you're the only one dealing with that, especially right now. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. But. Yeah, no, it totally does. What's mirror work. I was going to ask that too. <laughs> oh, uh, just hanging out with yourself in a mirror. Cool. <laughs> I think for lots of folks with trauma or body dysmorphia, quite literally, you forget what you look like, or you just start to feel like this part of my body looks and I experience it as this way. So just doing kind of reality checks of looking at my body in a mirror and passing by mirrors and acknowledging myself or talking to myself or doing my affirmations or just kind of um, being there like a friend for myself when I would need, but it's really powerful to actually look in a mirror and provide that, you know, we can kind of say like, oh, I love and approve of myself. But saying it to yourself in a mirror is a pretty intimate thing. And as women in our culture too, I certainly feel susceptible to the other voices that are present when I look at my physical form because of just how messed up the messages are around women. So for me, it's just kind of like reclaiming the mirror. I'd like the mirror is a place to celebrate myself. I write on all the mirrors in my house and some of the windows with dry erase markers, different messages or affirmations, or my husband and I write notes that way but just making it a place, a safe place that's really just about me seeing me, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can attest to the fact that you're amazing at affirmations. I remember one time I was <laughs> telling you I was struggling with something and you're like, yeah, I'll give you a couple of affirmations. And you wrote me like 50 of them because <laughs> you were like, "Woo!" <laughs> yeah, they do fire me up. And they're, you know, they're, they're what comprise a lot of my songs and I can generate those like crazy. I, that's kind of where the six word pep talk series is coming from. Is like, I can generate affirmations. Um, I think they really do help. And I think they're so much like like Louise Hay, who's such a leader in in affirmations, um, says it's like working out, you know, you're working a muscle each day and it might feel like it's not going to get you anywhere. But if you say an affirmation or really carry that with you each day, you will experience change inevitably, just like working out a muscle. So yeah, I'm into that. <laughs> I imagine generating them is like working a muscle too, just like any creative practice. Yeah, yeah. And certainly the the career in music therapy where you're really working with people on their specific goals related to quality of life does get you into that like strategic mindset of like, what are the goals? What's the change? And because, you know, there's lots of different models of music therapy, like cognitive behavioral therapy or humanistic. And I really care about mental health and spiritual wellness sector when I was working in the hospitals. That was what was most exciting to me, even though I was seeing folks for every physical ailment and in the burn unit and intensive care and all these things, the mental health and spiritual wellness pieces were where I felt I could have an impact and the, just how much people need to hear it through songs too. Um, just messages of hope or possibility. I did, that just really taught me how important that is that we just need to hear that whether from each other or in a song or, and I think we naturally kind of offer it to each other 
when we need a pep talk from each other. Well, I'm really grateful for that. I The other day I was driving somewhere, which I haven't been driving places lately because we're sheltering in place, oh, right. but I had to go somewhere and I realized that my phone no longer talks to my car radio, like the USB, it's like unsupported and it doesn't work. So I was like, okay, no podcast for me today. And then I looked down and I was like, all right, I've got a few CDs in the car. One of them, Lynn O'Brien rising. And I put it on and I was like, <sighs> I haven't listened to this in too long and I felt so comforted and supported and it was the absolute perfect thing and I was really glad my phone didn't work mm. <laughs> so I just want to plug that like I find your music very very comforting and a lot of people probably also do in this time and always but but looking to it now especially thank you that's awesome to hear and especially at this time of like reaching across the virtual sphere for connection. It really is so meaningful to know that it could have an impact, even if in a moment of your day, plus the car CDs, like that's where I listen to CDs and <laughs> it's good to have like a friend in the car with you when you put on that familiar CD. Exactly. I was like, thank you, Lynn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I also do my um, internet passwords are all affirmations because then I have to constantly remember them and retype them. And they might be specific to the thing I'm logging into, or it might just be, I don't know, something about what my body, my whatever. But I, I like to sneak them in there when I can too. That's brilliant. I've wanted to do that, but I don't think I could like keep them all straight. Cause I use one password to like create long passwords for everything. Oh, gotcha. So I'm like, there isn't space for that in my <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> yeah, but I love that as an idea because yeah, yeah, you would constantly be doing them. Yeah, whatever works, man. Yeah, exactly. So you already kind of told us about self care, leaning into spirituality. But are there other spiritual practices that you follow that you find helpful, both for you in your life and for you in your business? Because obviously they're extremely intertwined. Hmm. I would say there's a couple like folks I follow and different practices. Um, I certainly follow your work online, Rebecca, <laughs> and you're like your coaching and the self-care for creative wellness and like anything like that, that influences me online, like Laura Hallway, yeah. um, who I do, who um, she has been a coach for me in many different capacities at this point. And, uh, you know, so much of her work is about making small shifts and really listening to your body and focusing on what you need and allowing your creative work to give you what you need. I just, I'm like so ready to subscribe to folks with those kinds of messages. So that really helps. Um, there's also a movement practice called Koya, Q-O-Y-A, that's been really transformational for me. And even when I don't go in person to classes, there's so many different pieces of it, whether that's shaking your whole body or thinking about movement as prayer or movement as medicine, that your body is remembering that your essence is wise, wild, and free, and that you can move with intention, you can move with your shadow side, you can move to release, you can move in ways that aren't, you know, beautiful or coordinated. Um, that's been just really supportive and healing for me. So I try to remember like, oh, if I was in a Koya class right now, what would I do? Um, because when I get stressed out, I don't move. My body prefers to not move and to go into full fetal. <laughs> so 
just the reminder to move. And then I guess the last one is just to get outside as much as my ego is like, go for a run or go run around the park. And I don't feel like getting out of bed. I'll then negotiate like, what if I just put on shoes and go out the front door and then see what I feel like, you know, like the get yourself in the door of the gym kind of thing. Yes. Just stepping out the front door, my body is naturally like, Ooh, well, let's just see what's down the block. You know, just walk there. And then, and then letting it happen naturally, I think is that self-care is letting your body and spirits like natural inclination to nourish itself and to be in balance, be expressed beyond the voices of all the crap you should be doing to care for yourself in our culture. Yeah. There can be so many shoulds wrapped up in self-care and I really, yeah, I don't want to say rail against that. That sounds (laughs) violent, but like, yeah, I, I don't think that helps us. That's not caring for ourselves, creating more pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's just a lot of pressure on that. And I think for some folks, like a 30 day workout program or really structured disciplined ways of doing things works beautifully. For me, I join it within a day. I feel totally trapped and I quit. (laughs) So I have come to learn that those kind of systems, I just end up feeling a lot of pressure and I need a different approach, but yeah, but also more power to the folks who do have that discipline and that where that helps release the pressure, that level of structure, you know, I just think noticing where there's pressure and going in a different direction is something, a decision I'm having to make a lot right now to care for myself. I agree. Me too. Do you have any resources for Koya classes that are online? I've been intrigued by it. And I was just thinking to myself a month ago, I'm going to look up a class. And then suddenly we weren't able to do anything outside of our homes. It was literally right as this was beginning. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely some resources online and some um, teachers are dabbling in virtual Koya classes if you wanted to try it live. But so again, it's Q-O-Y-A and it's Koya.love is the national international website. And on there, it you can like find a class and most of the ones in this country are listed there where you can contact teachers and ask. But there's also some online resources where um, Rochelle, the creator of Koya, has some instructional Actually, instructional is the wrong word because it's so much about moving authentically in your body uh, in your own way. But she has some kind of demonstrating videos that show you some of the different pillars of Koya and there should be some there. Or if you YouTube it or just Google it and look for videos, I imagine you'll be able to find some different experiential things to try out. That's good to know that you don't have a specific, um, like this is the the one that I love the most. It's so experimental. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's 13. I started doing a teacher training for a while just because I had to learn more about it. And it's, there's 13 pillars to each class and they vary from setting your intention, like a seed in your body and then letting yourself really anchor in that intention. There's dancing yoga as prayer for a few minutes. There's dancing with your shadow side. So, you know, if your intention is to feel gratitude then you take time and the music that is there really supports going into your shadow side. And for one song, you really feel what it's like when you can't access gratitude. What does it feel like in your body when you just can't find gratitude? And then you move that way for five minutes. So it's really making space to take up space to let your heart and body guide to get out of your head. It's that journey from the head to the heart. Um, there's hip opening, there's one little part in it, a choreographed dance that could be like 
Michael Jackson's thriller, you learn a couple steps, but at that point you've just done shaking and you're like sweating and giggling and maybe crying. And you know, it's a very expressive experience. Um, and then there's also, when you're in a live class, there's also interaction. So maybe a group question or a quick partner exercise, or you pull a card together or something, but it just weaves together a lot of what I like from different kinds of exercise and spiritual practices. So yeah, it's a community that's been really supportive to me. That sounds really wonderful. Mm -hmm. I've been wanting some more like body movement, intentional practices in my life lately, because I've found myself just needing to like shake Mm -hmm. or like do a really weird dance for a minute because I'm just like, I have all this crazy energy and I need to get it out through my body. And just, you know, walking really fast isn't good enough. Totally. So it's nice to know that it's kind of, it's very open for your expression, but it also has that structure of those prompts and like focusing on a certain feeling. Totally. And a lot about like letting the music help you get into your body, let the music move through your body. Like you're the speaker. And if at any time your body wants to move in a different way and you want to just wiggle on the floor for a minute or shake or lay down, like it's always deferring to the wisdom of your body over what the quote unquote teacher is offering. Mm -hmm. Especially in these times of shelter in place, we, our bodies are moving in this really limited way, (laughs) like, out of bed to the kitchen to the da, 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 I walk and I bend over in this way and I do this like I think our bodies do yearn for more dynamic expression than that even if for 30 seconds like you said even if for just a minute of a dance or something yeah yeah I also um because I'm kind of a reinvent the wheel and pour tons of creative energy into most things I often don't remember like oh yeah, you can just follow a recipe for this meal. (laughs) Or like, you can just watch an online workout video where someone's telling you what to do. So this morning I uh, finally had the motivation and I Googled a workout video and it was this Australian guy who was like, he's like clearly a motivational personal trainer type person, but it was just some basic like aerobic stuff for about a half hour. But he was like shouting the whole time, like, you're already winning. We're doing it. We're doing it together. And by the end, my self-esteem was like, I am like ripped. I am jacked. I'm all amazing. And I was like, this is the power of just plugging into simple things, you know, because I tend to think I need to create a dance or, you know, but just that's another part of self-care, I guess, is like, plugging into just, I just want to watch the show, or I just want to do this thing where someone tells me what to do right now, especially as a self-employed person who's lost my income. It's like, I just want to plug into things where the instructions are clear and simple. So the structured workouts have been good for me lately, in addition to Koya. I really relate to that, wanting this simple structured thing lately, yeah. or not even structured necessarily, but just simple with yeah. a very simple structure, maybe like yes. cleaning my kitchen the other day was like oh. the best thing ever. Cause I was like, <laughs> I am completing this and I can see my results and totally that gratification. Yeah. It was very clear. Yeah. Simplicity is so good. And him, you know, I'm like, I know you can't see me, but I like have never felt so seen. You know, like, this guy was really pumping me up. Um, so that's, yeah. And just noticing like, how great did that kitchen cleaning feel? That's really good information. Yeah. You just said feeling seen. I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately, that that's often the thing that we want the most. 
And the way that we are getting that now is very different, possibly. Mm. And even being seen by the people who are close to us, you're only seeing them across a screen or maybe they're preoccupied because there's so much stress right now. Like I've just been thinking a lot about the importance of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And, and something that comes to mind when you say that is just, it's okay to want to be seen. It's really important mm-hmm. to be seen and we have to be creative about it now. But um, I think it was Sark, uh, Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, who said, um, when we let ourselves be truly seen, then we can be truly loved. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think social media is not a platform where a lot of folks can express themselves or feel seen. Or I think, and some folks can. And I think, yeah, I know for me, like phone calls or Skype sessions or letters in the mail or emails, all those things have gone from being like kind of run-of-the-mill regular parts of communication to these like cherished opportunities to really connect (laughs) and to to get those needs met. Mm -hmm. Are there any ways you've been feeling like, like you have been seen lately that are working well for you? Hmm. That's a very good question. Thanks for turning it around. Or, or are these questions only for me? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Just having genuine conversations with people and to being intentional about having genuine connections because obviously I try to be genuine in everything that I do even if that's showing up online and talking to I don't know who or I don't know how many people but I think yeah just being like I really need to connect with this person right now I'm going to check on them and and it kind of comes back to me even though I'm thinking about the other person I don't know if that really answers the question really, but like, you can't always control it. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also if you are partnered this and locked in with your partner, um, this is kind of even a bigger thing to focus on as well, because you definitely have to get more intentional and more creative with making sure your partner feels seen because it's really easy to get in wrapped up into the monotony of what we're doing right now. And also you and also your partner are not getting that um, recognition from outside places now. It, it is totally coming from within. And so you kind of have to um, go at it from both angles where you really should, well, maybe not should, because that's a terrible word, but maybe getting more creative with showing your recognition for your partner, but also as the one receiving it, consciously receiving it instead of just letting it like pass by. Yeah. I've been thinking about that too. The fact that it's always a little bit different when you go out for a date night versus just watching TV at home because there's that intention to it. So I've been saying like, we need to actually plan something, even if we can't go out to eat, like we need to intentionally do something. And I haven't had the energy for that. And now I'm like, oh, I'm actually really missing that. We need to start doing that. Mm -hmm. That's helpful to hear. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, um, partly because my husband and I are both self-employed and both used to lots of time together, operating from home, navigating those ups and downs together. 
Um, and in some ways that has been a blessing because we're not having to adapt to a totally new lifestyle. And at the same time, that intention is really important now. And I know my friends with kids and all the different living situations require, yeah, just a heightened level of like awareness and intention. Um, and even like going for a walk or we got our first curbside pickup the other night and I was like bouncing around like a puppy, like, Oh my gosh, we're really living. Like, this is really like, we're really doing it. <laughs> like it felt like such a big deal. And I'm like, these are the times we're living in. Like I haven't eaten out in three weeks and this is a thrill ride, nonstop thrill ride to have this person cook for me who I don't know. Oh my <laughs> That's awesome. Luxury. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And again, like, yeah, the incredible privilege that comes with that, like fully acknowledged and is very exciting and life-giving and just made me realize like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. It's really easy to hold up in your house right now, but I also like need joy and novelty, like really need novelty each week and maybe each day. So how can I, how can I play the game a little harder? with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other night I was feeling very down and like part of that was hormonal and it was being magnified, but you know, there's just a lot of up and down waves right now. And this one was particularly low, but yeah, I was like, uh, I have nothing to look forward to. And I, and that is and isn't true in that moment. I couldn't see any of it, but like in terms of tangible stuff on the calendar, Mm. I don't have anything to look forward to. Like there isn't anything on the calendar that I'm like, oh, I can't wait until I go to this, you know, I had a trip that was canceled or my family was supposed to come and visit in May and they're not coming, you know, like there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, they're just like, are not those points on the calendar to look forward to. And that is actually really important. Mm. And I had said that and my partner was like, oh, that just feels really bad. Like you don't look forward to our time together. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what I mean. It's that there aren't those markers. I love the small moments that we share together, but those don't, those aren't predictable. You know, like I'm not looking forward to them. Mm -hmm. It's a different category. Exactly. Exactly. So so yeah, I think I need to start creating more things to look forward to mm-hmm. way more intentionally. I love that. I really love that. I have a Zoom call with my family tonight and um, I talked with a friend who's out in Boston and, and we had said, let's try to play some kind of game on this weekend. And even just having that generally to look forward to was like a game. We're going to have a game. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> these simple things, but yeah, I think that that looking at self-care is there are joyful things to anticipate. And maybe that's attending this podcast recording or maybe that's attending something next week or I'm going to clean the house this day. I think making those plans for yourself in lieu of life that has been canceled is probably a really good call right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I shouldn't say there's literally nothing on the calendar. There are some things on the calendar, but like, you know. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah like a treat, <laughs> a treat yourself. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. We're all doing it though. Mm-hmm. We're, we're yeah. doing it. Yes, for sure. So we've talked about so many juicy things today. It's been amazing. Is there anything that you wanted to mention or talk about that we didn't get to today? Gosh, I really think we covered it. I think the power of intention is a place that we keep kind of coming back to of intention with yourself. Um, intention and self-care and spirituality, intention in your work, 
intention and the ways you connect or disconnect. I think that's maybe the one other piece is, you know, we're talking about making sure to, to have things to look forward to and to do those self-care things. And I think the boundaries that go along with self-care or the, the news you're not watching or the social media you're not getting on or the friends you're not connecting with at this time or just putting up whatever boundaries you need to, to really stay well and balanced, I think is something else that, yeah, I just wanted to mention, because I know for me, that's been something I've needed to hold close of like, okay, what are my yeses? What are my no's? What are my mores and lesses during this time? I love that intentional disconnection as a phrase <laughs> that yeah. I've been practicing that lately, but I, I like calling it that, that, that names it so perfectly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I had a friend um, who we just decided to focus more of our connection on setting up a phone call or a FaceTime instead of texting right now, just because we'll both leave feeling a bit more filled. Yeah. I love that intentional disconnection. Yeah. You just came up with a, your own little word bomb there. (laughs) (laughs) Two word pep talk. Right. (laughs) I don't think that counts as a pep talk exactly, but uh, it's it's a good (laughs) concept that we can all use. Okay. I love that. Thank you. Last question that we like to ask everybody. What are you excited about right now? Ooh, I'm excited about that. Not all the like parks and greenways and foresty areas are not, they're not closed at least yet. And so I can go hiking um, and just like get some actual immersion in nature time I'm really excited this week. I'm going to be a guest facilitator on some zoom calls with different like little groups or organizations of offering some uh, music meditation and moments of mindfulness or self-care discussion type thing. And they're for folks in, in places that I wouldn't normally have access to, but because of the expanded offering during this virtual time, there's a group in California I'll get to work with. And yeah, I just, I feel really excited to have some work again. <laughs> I guess just hungry to be able to to work in that way. And then lastly, I got some non-dairy Ben and Jerry's cookie dough ice cream in the freezer that I'm going to go to town on like right after this. <laughs> and so that's like the like front and center one at this moment. Yeah. So lots, no, of, lots to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> you a self-care answer, a purpose answer, and a feel-good, yeah. a pleasure thing answer. That was awesome. I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. It was so great to have you on the podcast and have this conversation. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for just this really important topic and conversations. I'm, I'm looking forward to staying tuned to who else you have on here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of it. Yeah. Well, that was an amazing conversation. I I may be a little bit biased because Lynn is a good friend of mine, but uh, I think objectively speaking, it was both a great conversation and she has so many amazing things to share. I'm always blown away by how much she integrates the different facets of what she does, by how her music really encompasses her message of providing healing to people. And she mentioned in the conversation, mental health in particular is really important to her and spirituality. And I just love how integrated her message has become over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, she's had since age 17 to really (laughs) hone in on that. Yeah. She is just very insightful 
And a few of the things that really hit me the closest, I think, is like when you get invited to do something or offered some kind of a gig and you want to say yes, it doesn't always mean that it has to be just a a flat out yes. It can be a yes if, you know. Um, And I love that she said, thinking of a way to say yes to this that will inspire her to show up very generously within that that gig or or whatever. So I thought that was something that I really would like to take away and just use in my own life and business. And it's like compassion and self-compassion is such an underlying thread of everything that she does. And in creating boundaries like that by saying yes, if, or no, but, or whatever the situation will be, there's always this inner kindness and it really feels like that's something that is one of her core values. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. And I think another thing too that was really cool is that you don't always have to recreate the wheel. Even if you do identify as a very creative person and you have the capacity to recreate the wheel, it doesn't always have to be done. Um, and just really appreciating the things that are already done for you and the simplicity of things. I think that's something to definitely remember. And especially right now in this time too, when there's all these things that we could be doing, all these ways to use our time and how productive we can be. um, It doesn't have to be like that. We can pick and choose and be intentional about exactly what we want to create and what we actually want to um, take someone else's lead on. Yeah. And I was just talking about this in my live stream, in my Facebook group, Creative Wellness Club this morning, but limitations are a really interesting thing right now. I was talking about what our relationship is to creativity in this time. And of course that's different for everybody, but I was talking about a lot of the different elements of that. And it's super interesting right now because our limitations have been removed in some ways if we're people who have more time to do things. And so that can actually be really overwhelming because it's like, well, I have all this time and I could literally create anything right now. What's it going to be if that's like sitting down with your chosen medium or if it's what's happening in my business? Like I've personally been kind of overwhelmed by that lately, trying to figure out what to do next. But then also the limitation of the big limitation that we are mostly staying at home can be limiting obviously in a negative way, but it can also be really positive and provide this container for us and make it easier to create things. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting how we have to be so intentional in either creating limitation or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's just so not black and white. Yeah. I think that was even a point of conversation with Lynn too, how things are not black and white. Oh, um, saying yes and no to things just is rarely black and white. Yeah. Um, so just all kind of ties back in. So I know that this is probably going to be an episode that I'll refer back to Yeah. <laughs> for myself, for help with my, you know, whatever, like just everything that she had to say was just such great reminders of the ways that I'm trying to live right now. I really hope that, you know, all of you lovely listeners also get that benefit as well. 
And seriously, I said this in the podcast, but I'm going to say it again. Listen to Lynn's music. It's so comforting right now. It's comforting all the time, but it's very something about her voice. It really makes me feel seen. Like we articulated that in the podcast and that is exactly the right way to express it. It just really makes you feel seen. The theme music you are hearing right now is original music by Rebecca Haas. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, subscribe on the podcast app of your choice, or sign up for our newsletter so that you don't miss an episode. Or if you really love it, you can get early access to each episode by becoming a patron on Patreon, which supports the making of this podcast. We welcome any feedback or ideas from you. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook to reach out. Thank you so much for listening.